1: Hello, one and all, and welcome to Behind the Glass, your weekly automotive podcast hosted by two rather uninformed enthusiasts. Nah, 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 nah. (laughs) I'm Sam from the YouTube channel Scene2Glass. I'm Tony from Gravelwood Car Sales, And you can watch us each week on YouTube. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most podcast players. We hope you enjoy the episode.
2: What do, you, what do you make of this T-shirt? Well, I mean, I did look you up and down a couple of times. I mean, I know you're a fan of him. And I know you like to let everyone know that you're a fan of him. But it's a bit much that topic.
1: <laughs> uh, so the, for those of you who are listening, today I'm wearing a Michael Schumacher T-shirt. It's a, it's a new purchase. Purchase. Well, I'm quite proud of. I'm a big fan of it. I'm wearing it because this morning, Paul and I recorded the latest episode of After the Sheckered Flag. Ah, got you. Our F1 special series, which which the video version sits exclusively on our recast page. Um, but you can get the audio versions on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Uh, so yes, I wore this for a reason, but I'm now still happy to be wearing it because it's just got a... It's just Michael Schumacher's face on my T-shirt. And you you... you... Paid money for that? Yeah, quite a lot actually. Almost <laughs> too much. I gotta be honest. It's a bit of a rip off, but I still, I still really like it. Uh, anyway, mate, how are you? How are things? How was your, how was your week and your weekend? Okay,
2: not too bad. Just okay. Yeah. Did yeah. your football team win anything? No, no, they didn't win nothing. Sore subject. Yes, it's okay. a very sore subject. Sorry. I would <laughs> happily talk about anything else apart from my football team. Well, let's do that. Uh, any car chat? Did you get in any cars? Did you see any cars? Did you buy any cars? What? I'm actually really, really low on stock at the moment. Really? I am really low, yeah. I'm having a little bit of a rejig in terms of <clears throat> the the whole business. I'm having a bit of a... Because a decent used car stock at the moment is still hard to find. Yeah, the prices have come off a bit, but nice, proper stuff, it's still hard to find. So we're just scaling back a little bit, to be honest. Fair enough. And then, um, yeah, but I am really, really short of stock. What are you picking up or dropping off tomorrow? Uh, picking a um, Golf GTI up. Okay. And delivering a 718 GT4. Oh, hello. Yeah. What specs the GT4? Yeah, uh, GT Silver, Ooh. Ceramics, Ooh. nice car. Manual oh, yeah. or PDK? PDK, of course.
1: I think, actually, I'm going to come out and say, it. I think the PDK is better for the GT4. Yeah.
2: And I'll tell you another thing as well. If you have a GT4 at the moment and you're thinking about selling it, give me a ring because I'd like to buy it because they've stopped making them now. Yeah. And the demand for them at the moment is slow. I mean, a bit of that will be because we're coming into spring and we've said it so many times on here that if you've got 80 to 100 grand to to spend on a bulletproof sports car, there it is. You know, you don't really get much better than a GT4. So... Um yeah, but they're good news at the minute. By them killing off the GT4, finishing the GT4, does that mean that the new Cayman Boxster is imminent? Well, they they say it's going to be an electric car, right? Yep, that's what they're saying. Yep. I think this is a very very dangerous move from Porsche because the Boxster Cayman range is so popular and like for sports car it, it, it's a uh, It's an entry level into their brand, which means petrol heads. Now, petrol heads in general, because they like noise like us and stuff, not really going to go out and buy a... I mean, they all kicked off when they put the four-pot two-litre turbo engine in it. So what are they going to do with the electric car? So unless they're doing it, obviously, to compete with companies like Jaguar now, where they're going full electric and, and other brands... I think it's a dangerous move and I think they'll bring another little combustion engine sports car out. Yeah, I, a big market for them. I, I
1: I am really excited by the idea of an electric Boxster or Cayman or at least an electric small sports car from Porsche. I think that could be super cool because as we've spoken about before, a lot of the electric vehicles more recently have gone towards range, practicality. We haven't had too many sporty Electric vehicles no. since the Taycan, the RSE Tron GT, etc. So, I really, yeah, I'm really intrigued and excited by the concept of an electric box store. Cayman, I think you could be right that there might still be a combustion engine or at least a hybrid offering. I don't know how Porsche would do it because I'm assuming to make a proper electric baby sports car, you need to develop it from ground up. Yeah.
2: And so, therefore, you couldn't just swap in a combustion engine or swap in. A battery power, I, I, I'm guessing. Yeah. Well, if you if you look at the Taycan and the Panamera, they are completely two, completely different cars. They've got the technology portion now because the VW Audi Group, and they have got the Taycan, and there's a new Macan coming, by the way. So with a f- claimed 300 odd mile range. Well, okay. So this is this. <laughs> now we're going to get very crossed
1: with our wires. I heard that the Macan was essentially Taycan tech.
2: Well, it. I'm sure it will be. I don't know that, but I'm sure it will be because why wouldn't it be? It would be silly for them to invent a load of new tech, but they've upgraded the batteries and stuff, so it it will do more range because we know a Taycan does 220 miles max on a charge, whereas they're claiming that the new McCann will do 300 plus.
1: Okay. Well, that's encouraging. I think the... Yeah, the, the the Cayman box thing is, is just a bit more interesting and exciting. And you said maybe they're doing it as an answer to Jag going electric. But I, I think it's Porsche's own statement. that They've said that they are pushing forward for EV. I can't remember the percentage numbers off the top of my head of what they claim or they want their product range to include but it's, it's hugely EV moving forward so
2: the fact that the 718 or sorry the Cayman Boxster would be the first to move makes a lot of sense. Well I think what they've obviously done as well they that these manufacturers are under huge pressure from, from governments worldwide to make a certain amount of uh, electric cars to get their emissions down as in you know the output of what they deliver in terms of petrol versus electric take the making part out of it the actual what the cars emit when they leave the factory. So they're under huge pressure and Porsche have probably looked at it and think, right, well, that model's going to have to be electric now, that have to be electric, that car can, you know, GC cars can still be petrol and that, and I think all the manufacturers are doing the same thing.
1: This is uh, an EVO article which says that Porsche is targeting 80% of its sales to be EVs by 2030. Fair. The new McCann will be the first of these new electric cars when it arrives next year to be followed by electric 718 Cayman and Boxster models in 2025.
2: I, I just I just find it really, really interesting that Porsche are going down this way. And we've seen Volkswagen, Audi doing the same thing. When in the background, they're still pushing for this um, synthetic fuel, which but, we know about. But their, their argument makes sense and is
1: logical that from Porsche's side, synthetic fuel is for heritage fleet and for... Motorsport and track experiences, track day experiences. Yeah. their push for their own future products is still too electric.
2: The, they're, the re- they're not the retail stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: they're they they are not saying that synthetic fuel is for their mass future plans okay that that's 80 percent of sales by 2030 so there's still 20 percent which is like to be gt department or gt products maybe that's where they're angling or they're thinking okay fine that's how we'll keep combustion engines alive but the rest is electric and and they've come up and said that so i don't think it's completely like you're saying one thing and doing something else um i think it's great that they're investigating both strategies of course and i say i just i just personally i just i am excited i would i'm keen now for the electric sports cars, with all the learnings and and technology that we've seen progress, the standard EVs, which we agree are getting better and better, I like the idea of a little fast electric sports car.
2: Yeah, cause, I mean, you're, yeah, the market, the market hasn't got one, has it? Um, not since the Tesla Roadster? Oh, no. Or what was the original Tesla? Was it called a Tesla Roadster originally? Yeah, how much was that, though? That was a few quid as well, not The it? first one, the Lotus one. Yeah, I, I can't Is remember that a lot what of it money? was called. Well, I'm sure it would have been as an investigation car. You know, that, that they didn't, did they make it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could go and buy it.
1: it was the, that was their first car. Fair. Original Tesla Roadster. Um, let's see what the price was. Original Tesla Roadster, the price. Anyone on the live chat know the price of the original Okay, it started at $100,000 in the US.
2: Yeah, well, we know what this Cayman's going to be then, don't we? Did you see as well, while we're talking about fuels in general, did you see um, Toyota coming out with hydrogen? Yes, hydrogen combustion.
1: Yeah. They're saying that that's their route, which is super interesting. So last year I went down to AVL, who are incredible, I don't know what you'd call them, engineering company based mm. in Austria that do a lot of this kind of stuff. And we did a whole piece for autosport around hydrogen
2: combustion. Yeah, so it'd be an engine supplied with hydrogen fuel. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's very complicated. <laughs> yeah. And expensive.
1: And expensive. Yeah. And volatile is probably a cliched thing to say, but it, it, it does have certain, elements that need to be sort of finessed yeah Um. the question was can you make them as powerful can they be can they perform as highly AVL said yes they were developing a motorsport specific hydrogen combustion engine yeah Toyota said that they're they're very happy with their results yeah it does theoretically make sense because you literally yeah I mean you, you can keep the combustion engine learnings that we've had over the last hundred years but just fuel them differently fuel it, them with green and clean hydrogen so I, I
2: get it I think it's yeah, I, I, I don't see that as the sole solution. No, me too. And and, and uh, I think we got to keep an eye on cost as well because they were really, you know, like the cost was really inflated compared to a, to a combustion car. And mainly that, and I didn't know this until I watched, but they said because of the, 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 the pressure in a hydrogen engine is far greater than a, than a combustion engine, which means all the parts are under so much more stress, which means they have to... Um, you know, have to reinforce them essentially, which obviously costs more money, yeah. and uh, the tanks as well because it's loads more flammable apparently because of the pressure. So
1: that's the sort of- that's
2: the volatility which which they. And I wish I could remember, but they they did have a
1: sort of simple answer. It's a sort of very specific criteria to create a sort of
2: yeah. explosion.
1: Yeah. Um, so it's not literally like you're you're driving around a bomb, which is often the sort of cliched argument with anything hydrogen. It's like oh, we're just driving around a bomb. It's not as dangerous as that but yes, there it. are areas where it, it is dangerous yeah um anyway on Sunday I put out my video with the M3 Touring which is proper petrol proper petrol
2: proper power. <laughs> we sound like some old man. <laughs> um but yeah so
1: so uh I actually drove that car a few weeks ago now yeah but my video just went live uh M3 Touring a car that we have discussed quite a lot on this podcast yeah uh, over the last year or so but I finally got behind the wheel of as we suspected, it's an M3. Great car. With a boot. Yeah. <laughs> but my God, what a good boot. And what a go- like, such a practical car. Mm. That latest generation 3 Series Touring. Okay, you might have some purists being like, well, it's just too big now. It's the same size as a 5 Series. Like, it's massive. But who cares? That is what the 3 is it Series the, is today. It, is it
2: though, really? Is it? Is it the same size as an older 5 Series? Probably, from right. like 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah. I don't know. Same well, as everything.
1: Yeah, everything's just getting yeah. bigger.
2: Yeah, yeah. But it is a
1: lovely, lovely car to live with. Yeah. My question is, as ever, as ever, is the real pick of the bunch, the M light, is the M340i actually
2: the car that anyone should ever need or want? Well, yes and no. I I, I think you half hit the nail on the head because I, I literally done a post the other day because I got one in stock and said why in your right mind would you spend nearly double the money on a car which, yeah, is faster, it obviously does brake better, but how fast can you go on the road? It, I don't know, mate. There's just a a very different feeling. It's almost like, what's wrong with an A6 compared to an RS6? Do, Do you know what I mean? Like... There's just a really special... It's like, uh, what's what's wrong with a Range Rover Sport? It's all the car you could ever want, and then everyone goes and buy the SVR. Uh, it, it's know. an amazing
1: power that brands have or have created in these performance departments, yeah. right? Because not only are the regular products so good, or the m Light products, and we have it with, yeah, RS and S-Line, we have it with AMG and AMG Light, or whatever yeah. they're calling it. So... Um, this from the sixty three to the fifty three, or the trial yeah. Uh, it it's just sort of mind-boggling because I specced up both cars how I would, and there was a thirty grand difference. Mm. And apart from the fact of just knowing I've got a cooler car, I couldn't think why on earth or how I could ever justify the extra thirty grand on the M three. Yeah,
2: I mean, but you want the M three because it's an M three. Yeah, and and as well like the depreciation would probably be similar as well, as in they'd all they'd all fall similarly together. So it's not as though you drive it straight out and then it's the same value as a 340i. You know what I mean? So you're not losing that 30 grand, but yeah, you're right. It is another 30 grand, at least. And is it 30 grand better of a car? I mean, well, that's a matter of an opinion. You know, some people go, well, yeah, because it's got this suspension and it's got this brakes and it's got a proper diff and it's got this and it's got that. Fair enough. But for some people, which is why they make these M light cars and these AMG light cars, the the big car's wasted on them. As in, your per- the, 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 the other cars, you're right, are perfectly fine. And this
1: is my big question, right? So if you're watching us live on recast, please get involved in the chat here because I'd be loving to know some of your feedback. But if you have a super fast everyday or family car so yeah M3 touring RS4 Urus Cayenne turbo GT etc how often are you driving it fast and i mean sport or sport plus mode or m mode everything turned up to 10 and you're thrashing it down a twisty road because my theory is You are therefore buying your fast family car more so for its badge and the idea of its abilities and the status and how it makes you feel and everything. But 99% of the time, you're cruising in that car. Yeah. At which point you could have or should have saved the money and bought the one down that's going to give you just as much performance the 90% of the time. Because I just maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people are buying... Fast estates and fast SUVs
2: and thrashing them all the time. But I think as well, it depends in where you live in the world. Because don't forget, these cars are made for worldwide. Sure. They're not made just for us, unfortunately. But um, everyone drives, as we know, everyone drives differently all around the world. And everyone has different parameters for what what they want from a car.
1: But surely it doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you are buying a practical car, an estate or an SUV, you're doing it because you need the practicality. Otherwise, you're just going to get an M4, aren't you? So if you're buying an estate or an SUV, you need the practicality for extra seats for people or extra space to carry stuff around. And when you've got all those people and all that stuff, you are not driving it like a coupe. You are not taking it out for your Sunday drive. You're instead using it, for its practical ways, and therefore,
2: I, that it's just a, it's a question I'm asking myself. You I know? can give you, I, I, not about asking yourself. I can give you another good reason why they make the two. One because it's hugely profitable for the manufacturers. Of course, the cost difference between making an M340i and an M3 is not much difference. Like, despite what some people, it's pennies, mate. Obviously, it won't be much difference. Really? on Honestly, I... I developed ca- an M product car doesn't cost the manufacturer that much. I, c- I cannot tell you how much money there is in manufacturing. It's mm. honestly mind-blowing. And what people have to understand... So you take Ferrari, for instance, right? Turn over five billion a year, something like that, make a billion quid. So they've got 20% profit, something like that, right? But that's after all their costs. That's after everything everything that's come out, all the marketing, all the money they spend throughout the year. So the actual cost to make the metal, to make the actual The production, car. sure, but the development surely has cost to it. But that's all in that cost. It's all in. it. My, honestly, it's huge. You know, and um, my, my best friend's in manufacturing, or he doesn't manufacture cars, but he's in manufacturing. And some of the stuff he tells me, and cars will be no different. Manufacturing yeah, is manufacturing. I, 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 I'm, I'm with you. The bit that I would love
1: to understand or question is, I, I, if you've got, if a car, if somebody, a manufacturer tells you it costs us a million pounds to make this new model, hundred million pounds to make this new model, how much of that is R&D and how much is that production? Because I would agree that if you've got a hundred million pound budget for a car, maybe 80 or 90 is on getting it to the production level and then the final 10 is actually the production. Do you see what I mean? Like I would assume and I would agree that the actual production part is very cheap but surely developing an M3 costs money for a manufacturer. Yeah, you surely. know what they do
2: there. You know what they do there which is very, very clever. And Porsche, They all do it, right? So then they have pre-production cars which you know about. That's yeah. what they do. So what they do is on paper then pre-production cars are like a million quid a car. And they throw them away. Mm. They can't do anything with them. Yeah. But that, but that comes off their bottom line. That okay. all comes out the bottom line. So when you look at when you look at their accounts, all of that's already factored in. It's already done. So uh, you know the, the 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 short of it is is that manufacturers do not make BMW M threes that they charge eighty or ninety thousand quid for, and it's cost them seventy thousand quid to make. Okay. They, they go backwards. they, yeah. they honestly. I've said it before, I don't know the exact numbers, but it is, you'd be absolutely astounded what the actual flat cost would be, because it's all written off, it's all written down, and like I said, you've got the pre-production cost, so yeah, you're right, you'd say, for instance, it's 100 million quid to develop an M3, right? Well, they'll have lots of pre-production cars dotting around. Well, they spread that 100 million quid over the over the course. Of, so they're gone because they throw them cars away. They're not allowed yeah, to be yeah, on the road. Yeah. So I, I find it fascinating me about sure. how uh, they operate and
1: stuff. I will try in our in our new quest to get to the bottom of some of the questions that we ask on the podcast. I'll reach out to a few contacts and see if we can get some numbers, some production numbers, costs for some of these cars because they probably will be a bit shy and Shifty about it, but I—I'm sure I could get a—they're ve- not going to give me price per car, but they might give us some implication of cost or cost of development. Because, for example, remember there was that famous story that Bugatti were always losing money for every Veyron that they sold. Yeah, because the amount, of the cost of development for that vehicle. Yeah. So there's an example of not making the enough. reverse. Is that you said the actual building of the car probably wasn't expensive, but
2: all the R and to get there. Was so hugely expensive, and they only sold a certain number. But and they wouldn't have had they wouldn't have tens of pre-production cars that they could write the money off. Yeah, but there's
1: still the cost of the money. Like don't don't forget they're yeah, writing yeah. the
2: money. I know countancy etc. But there
1: is still a cost. It doesn't matter if they're a, writing a huge it away. Cost. There's still a, there's still a cost. A huge cost. But I, I, to, I mean I don't question why the manufacturers do it at all. It makes total sense to make yeah. every variation of M three possible. But why do we as buyers? Find M3 that M3 is so attractive when
2: we probably don't actually need the M3 part. I can answer it. Why? Because most of the time these family cars are for more than one person. So if you if you if you buy an M3, it's all the car you could ever want for a family. There are a few quid, yeah, they're right. But your missus can drive it, she's gonna drive it 30 mile an hour, you're gonna drive it sensibly because it's loaded up with all the kids. That time, where it's not loaded up with all the kids, and your missus ain't driving it, and you want to go out and drive it, then you can drive it like a nine eleven, and and that's why they make them. Yeah, that 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 I would think that is the sole, and because they can, and yeah. I am not, I am not knocking the manufacturer making them. I am just asking why we as people convince ourselves that it's worth the thirty grand more. That's the question I am asking. Yeah, well, like uh, uh, that example there, which I've just said to you, is very true. And I can back that up by saying a man bought an A45 off me, an A45S off me at the weekend. He's part-exchanged uh, uh, a new-shaped Vantage V8 because his wife won't drive the V8 Vantage. Mm-hmm. So he's, they bought a more practical car that his wife's going to drive around at 30 mile an hour because you can an A45S. You can drive it around at poodling it around. Why didn't they buy the A35? Because that's just as good at poodling around. around. Sure. Because when he wants to get on it and drive more briskly... The 45 is more rewarding than the 35. And it's just more attractive? We just want the best
1: one, don't we? We want the best one. We're it? suckers for marketing. Correct. Because the, three, the just to keep bashing home this BMW message, the 340i is already quick the and capable enough. The 330 im yeah. Sport is all the car you'd ever want. For most roads around the world, most public roads around the world just as like it's so damn good brilliant but we as suckers for marketing and as idiots and as petrol heads go oh yeah we won the M3 I'll pay 30 grand more just to get an ugly grill and better suspension and a torqueier engine and, don't you know. be like that ugly grill it's a great looking car no I do actually really like the way the car looks <laughs> now but. Uh, just to check in on the live chat Keith has come in saying we want crazy SUVs and M3 tourings for bragging rights if you can best the next guy when he turns left or, or when the light turns green that's worth the extra 30k I mean, I think you're right. It's just it's about feeling better. You just you, if you can afford it, you want the better thing, don't you? Which even though you don't need it, you just kind of stretch of yourself, course. which is a bit ridiculous. Anyway, let's move on because I had a fascinating few days at the weekend. Um, heading to Italy and spending some time with Lamborghini. Now, this wasn't a direct result from the very dodgy episode that we put out a few weeks ago where we spoke cluelessly um, about the Royal Toad, but I did talk to the guys at Lambo, guys and girls, so I should say, at Lambo uh, about the car and about that episode. First things first, the first and I think most <laughs> important thing for me to say about the Royal huh I fit in it. Right. That, for Tip. me, like, immediately... I'm like, proper car. But did you? <laughs> <laughs> proper car. But did you? You really didn't fit in the old one? I genuinely did not fit in the old one. Right. It... So I'm six foot two. And in the old Aventador, and you could see in the Ultimate video, if I sit up straight, comfortably in those seats, my head hits the roof lining. And also, the top of the windscreen is below my level of sight. So I have to really like duck myself or submarine myself into the seats in the event store. So that's a higher car now than the older car. The roof line is higher. The seats sit lower. It's a more comfier cabin. They have made the cabin space better. Have they raised the car? No. The car is still the same size as the old I don't know the actual height. Let's Google that right now. But they've just made the cabin layout and space much better. Um, Revuelto height. That's going to be a weird fact. They've also made the entrance... What do you call it? The ingress and regress to the car. Ingress and regress. Getting in and out of the car easier. Right. Um, Revuelto height, let's see. And you still sort of fall into it? Height 1160, remember that, 1160, 1160, 1160. I'll remember that. It's it's 24 millimetres higher than the Aventador. Okay. Um, You get into it, you probably get into it. It's very easy to get in and out of. Um, the old one had a bit of a lip. Didn't yeah, it's because yeah. they've they've basically got rid of that, so it makes it easier to get in and out of. Um, they've copied over the passenger display from Ferrari in that side, so now the passenger's got one of those little displays on the dashboard. The interior is very nice, though. The interior is really nice, as you would. It still looks Lambo-like, but it's just taken a big step forward. The big touch screen, things like that. Lots of the functionality is in the screens. Still some buttons on the steering wheel, thank God. But it's it's a comfortable place to sit. Um, compared to the event store. So that was my initial impression straight away was like, cool. Good. It has loads more presence in the flesh. Loads more presence. And the old car? Uh, if, then the old car, but then also then photos would have allowed. I think in photos, rightfully so, a lot of people said, oh, it just looks like a look.
3: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10%
0: on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs.
1: That's burrow.com slash a cast burrow.com slash a It's like the technica it looks like a facelift Huracan, and that front end is very technica, but, but the minute you see it from any other angle, you're like, Oh, that's a, that's a big car. It's a, and it's got big and present. It sits super low and it goes, goes on for ages. I actually saw some moving around on the, bigger factory than the floor. old car then bigger than the, old yeah, car. it's, it, it, it's got real presence it's got real real presence a lot more angle many more fins going on than you'd realise so uh, oh a big front boot as well bigger front boot Aventador was never awful for its front boot but it wasn't great though mate the
2: Spider basically didn't have anything
1: yeah they really have focused on livability right they claim to have taken a lot of the feedback from the customers of like how tough it was to live with and use an Aventador on a regular basis. Right. And try to attract... Like all these manufacturers have done, every single supercar manufacturer have, you know, tried to
2: make their cars easier to live with. Well, more usable. And I'll tell you you why that is, because in general, over the last 10 years, people use their supercars more now. You know, the mileages on supercars. I mean, it's not uncommon for you to see a five-year-old supercar with 10,000 miles on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: well, because they and because they are easier to do so, so you can use them Correct. more often. Yeah, yeah. Um, the let's talk about the sort of mechanics, the engineering, the technicalities. Where you slash I were completely wrong. It is really ground up. It it is an entirely new card. They, I asked the man who is the head of Rivalto, what carried over. How what's the percentage. He literally could not think of one component that had carried over from a vent store. He was like, um, I guess the technology of the carbon fibre is similar. Like, it's it's ground up new. Uh, entirely new. What do they call it? Mono, carbon monofuselage. I like that word. It's a tub. It's a tub, but it's more than the tub. Oh, I thought or fuselage was an aeroplane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carbon monofuselage. Uh, which is very, very cool. Um... The thing which is really interesting, which I didn't realise I knew, and again shows how naive and idiotic we were being a few weeks ago. The layout for the powertrain is quite fascinating. You've got the hunking great v V12, which is just massive, obviously sitting where it always has in the middle. But then at the front, you have the front motor for the hybrid powertrain, and the actual battery pack sits in underneath the sort of central tunnel runs all the way up I knew that yeah runs all the way up the car I saw that being developed at AVL the company I was mentioning earlier in Austria last year when I visited they were building this tunnel thing and they said look we've got this project for an Italian sports car manufacturer and I they didn't tell you? no because they they really couldn't they gave me every hint without saying I, I surmised at the time that it was Lambo but I thought it was for a much smaller project, or well, that's what they insinuated yeah but they said it's really revolutionary to position the battery pack like this and when you see it all laid out because in the factory Lambo have a sort of skeleton they've got the carbon mono fuselage, and then the powertrain all unskinned and you can kind of see the layout of the vehicle and it's super impressive and it makes sense you go because oh, usually a lot of these supercar manufacturers will put the battery pack behind the rear seats sort of you know transversely along the vehicle because of the one. weight obviously exactly yeah. but, so it's a really clever system and then the big thing, which you said would be a disaster for when someone drives into the back of the vehicle, is the gearbox, which is super clever, tiny packaged gearbox, which actually houses the secondary electric motor inside the gearbox. Mm-hmm. Which is super clever. So no reverse gear, electrically electronic reverse gear. Yeah. Um, and that packaging, I said, just again looks really tight, really small, really clever. But the- it is at the back of the engine. Yeah, but. But you said there have been so many cars with gearboxes hanging at the back and you don't think they would have built a crash structure or, or set that car up to protect it from... A riv- and, and if somebody drives into the back of your car and smashes up the rear, you're in bigger trouble than just your gearbox. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, like you're there going, oh, what an idiot. If someone crashes into your revuelto, then your gearbox is going to be screwed. I think they would have thought of that. But what I thought was interesting is when it comes to their hybrid technology, they're taking the same... M- Methodology or mm-hmm. theory, as McLaren with the Artura, it is not there really for any electric driving functionality. It's purely to aid and boost performance. Okay, it's at like twelve mile range, yeah, if that. they like, it's really like, yeah, yeah, We don't expect people to be driving around in electric, road. we don't really want them to. It's all about aiding the performance. And then, of course, you've got all the other things we knew about. Yeah, the dual clutch. Uh, gearbox, which obviously should improve, the four wheel steer, um, all those elements. Which... The older models had
2: four wheel steer, though. It's only the original Ventador that didn't.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so lo- lots yeah, of things would. that should make it. Because um... it's a big car, right? It's a big, heavy car. It's heavier than a Ventador. Yeah, of course. course, as you would expect. Yeah. But I think what I took away from it is until we drive it, we won't know. Whilst it may still share those characteristics, and I spoke to a few journalists who were on the trip with me, and we all agreed a Ventador is not a car to drive on the twisty mountain road. Yeah. And Rovelto, as good as it might be, will probably have the same, same vibe. Yeah. But where I think they will have really improved it is that usability and livability factor. Yeah. So whilst it might still be heavy and long and really fast to enjoy on the tighter and twister roads that would suit a GT4 or a smaller lighter car. Or any
2: other supercar that you can buy. Or a buy. 296
1: GTB, for example, yeah. Most, or,
2: of, most of the supercars you can buy. Or a Huracan. yeah. But, um, SF90, the, the, there's the list not goes really, on. There's not really many cars like the
1: Revuelto in no. terms of length, size, you know, a powertrain, all that stuff. Um, but where they have focused, yeah, is that usability. And I think it sounds like or it feels like they've done an amazing job in that area. Yeah. So that you can drive the cars more often. Well, and we're going to see that when often. we
2: start, uh, when we start seeing them around.
1: Yeah, seeing them out and about. Yeah. It's, probably still, it's probably still in city centres uh, shooting flames out there. Yeah, well. of
2: course, yeah. But yeah, no,
1: it, 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 it was very, very cool. Great to see. I saw three or four different specs creeping around in the factory, still in very early pre-production phases. It's amazing when you go into these production lines for these manufacturers. You spoke about a little bit earlier with production costs and things like that. It's more the thing that amazes me rather than the cost of it all is the processes and how automated or thought through in the amount of stations. And for example, the Revuelto line is an all new line for Lamborghini. They've well, had to,
2: that, that would have cost a small fortune to do that, by the way.
1: They've had to increase space and size yeah. and different elements for the, for the battery units and all these different things. And when I was there, they're still working through those processes. So they have three or four vehicles on the line and they're teaching themselves, they're educating themselves all the things that could go wrong, what to watch out for, what happens at each stage, checking the different systems. And that blew my mind because we went from brand new Revuelto line that they're still figuring out to the Eurus line, which, oh my God. our conveyor belt. Mate, it, yeah. it was like a, was like a sausage factory. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah. Did you know 50% of Lamborghini's Vehicles they produce a Urus.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I can, I can imagine The uh, same as you look when you look at Porsche. It's the same. You know, they're, they're a Cayenne and McCann. It's an SUV company now. Yeah, it's an SUV company, and they literally are churning these Uruses.
1: Um So yeah, you got fifty percent are, uh Urus, about thirty five percent a Hurricane, leaving fifteen percent. Correct. Uh, thank you for Vuelto. <laughs> Um, and they're actually gonna be stepping up, so previously they made about five event stores a day, they're hoping to step up to seven Revueltos Um but yeah, it, it, it's um, but how many factory tours have you done for supercar manufacturers? Okay, take your time.
2: No, no, I don't it's not I've like th- we're live. No, 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 I don't think I've done one. I was oh, feeling Oh really? I've, no, I don't think I've You've never been the side one. Not not a not a I'm just trying to think if I had, whether I've Ferrari I have work or no, I've not been to Ferrari McLaren. Enough. No, not into the, not into Porsche. the factory, no. Oh, mate, we need to line this up. Yeah. You I would, have, it is. I'm pretty sure. Mind-blowing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I haven't, not car, man, not car factory. Oh, anymore. you would
1: love it. Yeah. You would love it. It is incredible. And if you want to be sold on a product quickly, go on a factory tour. Because <laughs> I literally was walking around that Lambo factory going, yep. Oh, I'm, no. I'm buying a Urus. Oh, I was like, this is amazing, because you start to appreciate and understand what goes into making these vehicles the level of detail the processes you see them at such a raw rough stage seeing them come together all the amazing different specs the the interior room the the dynamic stage the, I just, it's absolutely fascinating yeah yeah um, a lot of STOs still being made by the way which is frightening I didn't realise they're still making like they're still I thought they'd finished I thought they'd finished there's still loads of Those STOs coming techniques. through yeah I I mean see any technicas being made? Yeah, saw lots of technicas, saw some steratos. Right. Um I think I mainly saw STOs, Technicas and Sturatos. I didn't see many spiders to be fair. And URUs. Urus S and URUS Performante. Saw tons of them. Some really nice specs, some ad personum, which is their, you know,
2: bespoke speckings. Because they then, make six or seven thousand of them a year. Urus. More. Is more it more now? Yeah, yeah. I think it's eight around eight thousand a year. 8000 urus yeah i believe so yeah Because um, they make similar lot. numbers as in in terms of factory they make similar numbers to ferrari 10 11000 that sort of that's try and of fact number. check ourselves how many euros are made each year i thought it was 6 last year
1: um they did say cuz it depends cuz they said uh, obviously when they dropped down on the amount of v12s they're making with the aventador uh it's it's all done with percentage that's all they gave me they just said it's percentage so uh,
2: let's go how many lamborghinis were sold a year it was 10 or 11000 i think or 9000 something like that oh uh, you're
1: right 2022 you're right was 5300 yeah they sold okay. They sold nine. 000, okay, so you're probably right. I must have got the number wrong. They sold nine thousand cars last year. So he must have said it was around eight thousand, and it's twenty. fifty percent of that. Yeah. Yeah. Fine.
2: I I only know because they make very very similar numbers to Ferrari now. Fine. Yeah. Twenty twenty one was eight and a half thousand. Yeah. Anyway, mind boggling. Well, they used to be like three and a half four thousand cars. Lambo. That was you know. And the well, the US. I mean, literally, they doubled the size of the factory.
1: Yeah it's unbelievable the amount of money they put into that to, to, to and that even the carbon fi- carbon fiber is all made in-house now and they double the size of that department for yeah, the yeah. new Revuelto because yeah. the Revuelto's got extra additional carbon fiber parts um, loads of new sort of carbon fiber tech they're, they're pretty sensitive around their carbon fiber tech actually it was one of the areas of like real no camera kind of zone really?
2: yeah very didn't very want you to
1: know no they gave us a full tour but it was all just very much like you know
2: does that come from F1? carbon fibre didn't it the, yeah, yeah the technology for technology, sure yeah. uh, but did it not originally come from aerospace possibly but I know so that yeah. F1 in terms of in, into cars
1: yeah for sure in terms of the usability in the yeah. automotive sector but I was there because Lamborghini like so many manufacturers is celebrating a big birthday it's their 60th anniversary this year 60 is it 60 years so this was a chance to basically learn a little bit more about the history understand a bit more about the brand and then get behind the wheel of some heritage vehicles so uh, we did the whole factory tour, did a bit of a history lesson. I learned some cool stats. Like I didn't realise, for example, that, uh Ferruccio Lamborghini was actually quite old by the time he set up. Lamborghini's a car. Make He was always a successful guy. I think he was like 50 years old or something like that. By oh, the time didn't he, he want started. to buy a Ferrari and they said no and he bought my own car? It's a bit of a myth that. Is that? It's oh, a right. bit of a myth. Okay. He was um, churning the tractors with the tractor company. Yep. Also had a, a heating, heating company. like that. Right. Or like an air conditioner company. Um, and he owned two 250 GTs, I think. And yes, yeah, supposedly he went for this meeting with Enzo and within a short period after that said, I'm going to go and make my own car. But no one really knows what happened in that meeting. There's there's no proof that they had some big argument or that Enzo told him to jog on or anything like that. It's, it's just been, you know that's become a bit of a, a legend. But yeah, he set out to make, the original idea was the ultimate Dolce Vita GT car. Um, so that 350 GT, which is a beautiful car, is a finessed version of what he was driving, a 250 kind of GT. But then the company basically redefined itself when you got the Mura and then the Kuntash, It then became the ultimate supercar company yeah. yeah, yeah. But he, he sold up real quick. Uh, he was out of there by the mid-1970s, so literally like 10 years later. Right. Because... Got his money and... No, no. Didn't get his money? The tractor company got an order from... I think the Bolivian government, so let's say they were making 3,000 tractors a year, they got an order for an additional 3,000 tractors from the Bolivian government, I think it's Bolivia, feel free to correct me in the comments, and then there was a coup d'etat in Bolivia, a new government came in and said, oh yeah, we don't want these tractors, sorry, whatever they are, the other government said, I don't care, But Frugio Lamborghini built an entirely new factory. He'd like expanded his line. He'd hired loads of people. So he suddenly got left. Done his money. With with 3,000 tractors. And so because it was just him, he was the sole owner of the company. He had to sell off loads of assets to cover up the cost of the additional 3,000 tractors. Right. And that was included selling off Lamborghini. So initially he sold half the business. Then he got fully out because he literally, so he was, okay, fine, an older man by that point, approaching 70 years old. So coming to the end of his working career anyway, sold out real, real quick. Yeah, man. Um, which is kind of mad. Um, but then, as we know, the company went through a thousand different owners and a kind of crazy checkered history until Audi got involved, but always stayed true to that kind of ideology of the Mura and the Kuntash of ultimate super or poster cars.
2: Well, they still do it now, don't they? Still do it now. You know, they've done it with the, with the Revuelto and the, the the Technica and the STO. But, fire-breathing and- Yeah, big engine cars and that's it for me that was that is what's most impressive
1: we've definitely touched on it before the fact that Lamborghini continue to stay truest to their identity of all the supercar manufacturers Porsche now make a million different products and as we know are way more of an SUV company than a sports car company yeah and uh, you know, diluting a lot of their but Lambo, as you just said, N- production-wise, yes. But what I would—the th- point I made, or—and I included some of this in my content—the Eurus is way more a Lamborghini than the Cayenne is a Porsche. I think, in the sense where Lamborghini have always made supercars, mm-hmm. wild, crazy, out there, poster car supercars for lots of money for the specific person. You're a Lambo guy or gal. Yeah. Whilst Porsche changed their entire brand identity with the Cayenne and the Macan, opening them up to a completely different audience. Mass. It's a mass product. Yeah. They sell them by the absolute bucket load. Of course. Whilst the euros are still relatively small numbers, you know, 5,000 a year, it's still fairly small. Yeah. And we can see on the used market, the values are
2: just- Yeah, still strong, yeah. Super, super strong. Yeah.
1: So that's where, that was what was sort of what I was aware of. And um, yeah, it blows my mind that they're managing to stay true to that. So yeah, we went about an hour away from the factory with almost every model from their past. So they had a 400 GT, which is the follow-up to the then a Mura, Countach, Diablo, Murcielago, Aventador, Manuel Gallardo, a Yalpa, which was their sort of early V8 car,
2: a Yalpa? Yeah,
1: Yalpa. Yalpa. Yeah, I had a, v, a V8 Yalpa. Oh, never heard of it. Yeah, 2 plus. Two. I, I didn't know about it either. It was So, what I also quite like is that all of their lines have heritage. So, the V10 line basically came from the early V8 line, which was the Yalpa. The SUV follows on from the LM002. The V12s always have always had the V12. So, like, you know, they've, they've got her- history yeah, and heritage yeah. in every department. So, I had been offered or invited to drive the LM002 and the Eurus Performante. So that video is coming soon. Um, But at the end of the day, I got back, and all the other journalists had finished doing what they did, and they said, oh, the Mura SV is available, if you want to have a a quick drive on that. And I was like, well, I'm not going to come all the way to Italy with Lamborghini and be offered to drive in a 4 million euro Mura SV and say no. So... (laughs) As the sun was setting, I went for this drive in
2: arguably one of the most iconic supercars ever made, if wow. not the original. And di- and did you base your whole video r- r- around that in the end? Was it a separate one? No, no, no. It's tacked on at the end. But Mira mean anything to you at all? I know what it is, mate, and I appreciate it. But apart from that, no. Really? Not interested. Really? Yeah, because I'm a Ferrari guy, mate. Okay, so if like, you go... if there And was a Porsche
1: man. If you walked into a car park and there was a Mura and a Daytona, you're going to go to the Daytona? 100%.
2: Really? Of course, yeah. No. Yeah, because I'm a Ferrari man. If you ask a Lambo, if you ask Paul what he'd go to, he'd go, I'll go to the Mura. No, he wouldn't. Who's he's a totally Lambo his. fan. He wouldn't. He's too he, old. Too old.
1: Yeah. But the Mura is different. You can The Mura you can appreciate and respect is not, not because of the Lambo side of it. For yep. what it represents, it, it arguably was the original
2: supercar. Yeah, and, and fair enough. But if you're not, I'm not that invested in that. Like, I I owned a Performante, which was a great car. I don't miss it. It was a great car. And I'm glad I experienced the Lambo thing. But I'm not a Lamborghini man. You know, I, I prefer Ferrari and Porsche. So I know more about them brands because that's what I like. And I think...
1: I think you definitely have to be, or there is a certain Lamborghini person, right? Yeah. that That's what I found interesting is I'm the same as you, you know, it's not my brand. But as time goes on, I appreciate them more and more. Yeah. For the fact that they stay true to what they are, yeah. that you know what their products are, that they are just hilarious fun. And whilst you don't often tend to see a, Ferrari collector and a Porsche collector have Lamborghinis in a stable. You know, it, Lamborghini people are their own people. So I don't know why exactly that is. Because when you get up close to it and learn, the history is amazing. The products are kind of fantastic.
2: Yeah, there are, but I mean, the history is amazing from BMW, Audi, and Mercedes as well. By the way, you know, all these brands, and there'd be loads of people out there that. It's the same with the German brands, the f- the three big German brands. You're either an Audi fan, a Merck fan, or a BMW fan, and they all argue about which one's the best. I think they're all fantastic, but if you if I had to pick today, which one I'd have, I'd still go BMW M. Interesting. Me personally, yeah, yeah, because yeah. I mean, I had a few of them when I was younger, and I, they are still like out of out of them three manufacturers, the the driver's car, out, which they are, the BMW M car is is the driver's car out of the other two brands. The other two are very good, and you can't really split hairs, and they have lost their exclusivity and a little bit of specialness now compared to the old days, but um, they're all very good nowadays, and you say that about supercars as well. You know, no one, whether I like Lambo or not, No one makes a bad car anymore. They're all very good. Even even McLaren doesn't make a bad car. It doesn't work very often. Same with Aston Martin. They're all very, very good now. Everyone makes a great car now. It's just what you like. Absolutely. No, that's fine.
1: But I just thought in terms of history and importance in the automotive world, like there are some cars which... I don't necessarily, I'm not like fussed about it. I'm not sitting there, like, I dream of driving when I own it, but I respect it for what it is. And yeah, Mura for me, has just always been like the originator. It's beautiful, the engine, what it stands for, what it represents, all those cars, and those manufacturers you spoke about. Like I, d- I don't think Ferrari would have chased the mid engine supercar formula or felt that they had to respond to anything that was going on the other side of, well, 10 miles away mm-hmm. without the mirror. The mirror pushed things on in, in my mind or as far as I've understood it. I wasn't there at the time. <laughs> but you know what I mean? So, so therefore I just hold it in such regard and also the value and everything. I'm like, it's a freaking mirror. If a mirror turns up somewhere, I don't care that it's got a Lamborghini badge on it. It's
2: a mirror. Yeah, l- like I said, I, I'd go, oh yeah, that's a... Um, but I wouldn't be... Gravitated to it, you know, and really? talking about you know manufacturers stepping other manufacturers on—that's what they all do, by the way. Mm. So yeah, Lambo back in the day, they may have kicked Ferrari up the bum, but don't forget McLaren done that twelve years ago with the with the MP4-12C mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. With, and we always forget four, it had the
1: MP4 bit at the front. Yeah, 12C, and
2: then and then like um Porsche have had kicks up the bum. And then we go back to the big German manufacturers, Mercedes, BMW and Audi. They've all had kicks up the bum by all each other. They all drive yeah. each other on. It's all being... And by the Koreans these days. Yeah. Bloody hell.
1: Yeah, no, I, look, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. But, but for me, yeah, Mura was one of those ones that, well, you can imagine. You can imagine what I was like in that moment. Um, did you fit in it? I actually did. But really? I mean, similar to an so I didn't fit well. And I actually oh. said that on camera. I was like, I immediately know that I'm in a proper Lambo again because I don't really fit. Um, they're just built for small Italian men, really. Uh, Back then they were. Still today. Uh, apart from the of World Tour. Yeah. The only negative, which I'm just going to say now so that people are aware when they get to the video. Understandably, I do get it, but Lambo gave me a, a, an escort vehicle for that. As in like, what's it called? I had to follow... To follow a US performante, I mean it is a four million euro classic car from there I don't museum. blame them. I don't blame them either. But suppose I let you go out in it. But I am there to drive the car, and it is for media and content creation. It was a little uh, flat. Like I don't personally. I don't. Like, I'm very. I just. I would drive the mirror around a car park and be happy. But for content. It just meant that I was following a Eurus at thirty kilometers an hour for twenty minutes, right. which was a little bit. Am I? Do I sound like a bit of a dick saying that? Yeah, a little. bit. Do I? Did okay. You,
2: did Did you have to make a video on it? Why didn't you just go and drive it and, and be happy that you drove it? Because it it's my job. but it it's bolted on the end. It wasn't what you was. A, it was a bonus point at the end. So instead of I get what you mean, and it is your job. You're absolutely spot on. But actually, and you boys do it all the time. You don't always have to have the cameras on you can turn them off do you know what i mean you could have just enjoyed that yourself at 30 mile an hour following an Everest.
1: there were lots of moments i did and i really did just enjoy the moment don't get me wrong it's a moment i will never forget and yeah. i did get that across on camera a bit but i think if i'd come back here and sat down and said to everyone oh i drove a mirror at the weekend and <laughs> i but i didn't film it i think people would be like well, what are you doing with your life <laughs> isn't that your job it'd be like you saying oh yeah i bought a mirror but i decided not to sell it well, Isn't I've it done your that job? Before. Isn't it your job to buy and sell <laughs> I've stuff? done that before. Have you bought no. cars that you meant to sell and then just kept them? Yeah, really.
2: Yeah. Give me yeah. an example. The Escort Cosworth for one. So you bought it as stock. Yeah, decided coming, to keep it. Yeah, there's been there's been cars down the years. Really, hundred percent. Be, because you've liked them more than you thought you would, or because value wise they've done something. Bit of both. Okay. Bit of both. the The Escort Cosworth was like a childhood car of mine, and it come in. And I thought, I'm not selling that. I'm going to keep it. And there's lots of dealers up and down the country that do that, by the way. As in, they get a car come in and they go, no, I'm not selling that. I'm going to keep it. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice bit of kit. Yeah. For whatever reason, sentimental value, for, for whatever reason. So much sentimental value that you did actually sell it in the end. I didn't. Yeah. End, yeah, <laughs> profit, profit always weighs money, out. all my money on it.
1: Yeah, profit outweighs Tony's sentimental value at any point. But yeah. um, anyway, it was an awesome, awesome trip. So thank you to Lamborghini and thank you for to them for allowing me to go and check out the Royal after we were so... Um, I'm surprised
2: they let you drive that Murat thirty mile an <laughs>
1: <laughs> No, they were absolute <laughs> legends, and actually, I had an awesome team. A uh, guy called Pietro, who's a racing driver with Lambo, uh, really helped me out on the day, uh, and also a guy called Jonathan helping me film. Uh, just. Uh, I'm, I am I had a really good time. Lovely. I had a really, really good time. So big up uh, Lambo flying that flag. But that brings an end to this week's episode. Um, brought you up to speed. So yeah, all that content is still to come on the main channel. Um, we'll be back with you next week, just before, I guess, the big European adventures start. Um, but we've got a couple of themed episodes coming up, uh, including Tony sort of talked on it, spoke about it briefly. We're going to talk about uh, raising, rising car values I guess financing. Um, also some other topics around SUVs and bits and bobs. So stay tuned. Subscribe now if you're watching here on YouTube. Turn on notifications so you don't miss any future episodes. If you want to join in with our live streams and the live chat uh, that's been taking place today as we record these sessions, head over to recast.tv forward slash behind the glass. Uh, if you want to follow Tony in the meantime, he's at Tony Gravelwood Car Sales on most social media platforms and I'm at Seen Through Glass on most social media platforms and yeah, we'll be back with you for another episode next week. Bye bye. See ya.
3: target.